Hi, I am Amri Imafadon, head Stamets and co-founder and CEO at Stamets. And this is Stamets Say What? A brand new podcast brought to you by Stamets. In each episode, I'll be joined by a co-host and guest to discuss what it's really like to break into the field of STEM. This week's co-host is Lauren Moale. Hi, I'm Lauren and this week's guest is Joss Tasker. I basically was a bit nosy and was sometimes involved with working with freelancers in previous jobs. I had a sense of how much they earned. I spoke to a couple of people who were doing it, who were kind enough to share with me what they earned. But it is something I still struggle with. And she'll be answering our four what's on freelancing and uncovering what it actually means to be a freelancer. Yes, and we will also discuss the challenges and financial side of freelancing. So... Joss, I want to take you back to the very first moment that you discovered the magic of STEM. What was that moment? Who was the teacher? I want to hear all about it. I think I was quite young and I had an amazing math teacher who explained to me the concept of infinity and the symbol that you used. It just sort of blew my mind. And it's the first time I think I realized that maths is a really creative subject. You're playing with lots of unknown factors and that was really exciting for me. Literally from infinity to beyond. Is it infinity and beyond? Infinity to beyond. What's the buzz? And to beyond. To infinity and beyond with, with just light here. And the beyond has become freelancing, which is why we've got you here today. How would you describe how you got into freelancing maybe? Before we talk a little bit more about what freelancing really is. I guess there was a couple of push factors and a few pull factors. So the push factors were... It was the middle of the pandemic and I had a baby and a one and a half year old, not necessarily recommended. And I was working at Monzo, which was really, really fun, but a very intense environment, particularly at that point. And I remember I was trying to run through quite an intense calculation of the regulatory capital that we needed to hold and to protect ourselves as a bank, particularly in the light of the pandemic with the board and having a debate with them. I actually had poo all over my hands, so I was changing nappy at the same time. <laughs> I think that was a moment where I just thought, do you know what? There's quite a lot going on right now, and maybe this isn't quite the right setup for my life. We love a multitasking right queen. Um, I mean, why not? Yeah. And I think I learned a lot from that. Probably would have done things differently in the future. So that was a little bit of a push factor there. And the pull factor was I really love working with startups to launch new products. I work in finance. Lots of people would always come to me and say, oh, Joss, I've got this idea. I think I'm going to do this. And I'd love talking to them and discussing with them, thinking through their product market fit, helping them to figure out how they would enter that product into the market, what kind of permissions they might need from a regulator, et cetera. There were just a few opportunities coming up like that. And people would say, oh, it'd be really great if you could help me out with this thing. It'll take a few days, I think, or it'll take a few months. And I'd had a few conversations like that with people that I'd met on my sort of travels. So I thought, do you know what? I could lean into the bit of this job that I really enjoy. I can work a bit more flexibly. I think at this time in my life, that was a really good fit because I had a whole load of other commitments as well. So I thought it could be a win-win and it, and it was, and it worked out really well. That sounds like a win-win. And here we are talking about what, what. So let's start with the first what. 
what does a freelancer do? And you've kind of touched on it a little bit there, but if we go back to basics for anyone that has never considered this or thought about it, I know there's freelancing, there's contracting, and they're kind of overlapping and maybe not, you know, dictionary definition, the same thing. Um, But from where you're sat, Joss, what does a freelancer do and what does freelancing mean? I think it maybe means slightly different things to different people, but super high level, fundamentally, it means that you work for yourself which means that you're not an employee, which means that you're not attached to a particular company and you provide them services based on your terms or a kind of a a mutually agreed set of terms. And it means also generally that you work from more than one business at any time. I guess that's the free, that's the emphasis on the word free. We'll we'll have to look back into the Lansing thing, I guess. But yeah, you're free to work for lots of different people. How do you find these different people to work for or work with even, we could say? That is the beauty of it. You get the freedom and the choice and the variety. You get to lean into things that really excite you. So find businesses that you think are really exciting or interesting just contact them, reach out to them on LinkedIn. I've done that a couple of times and it's been very successful. A lot of it is through word of mouth. So people that I've previously worked with come across challenges in their work that they think I can help with. And sometimes through friends or friends of friends as well. And I guess I've met quite a lot of friends through work as well. So it's always really nice to make those connections that way too. And what are some of the benefits? Because I think being your own boss is something we hear quite a lot, maybe under the guises of like entrepreneurship and starting your own business. So I can imagine that that maybe that's a big part of freelancing. But what are some of the other benefits that you have seen in your switch to freelancing? I think there's been a lot of benefits for me. I think it's, you get choice, which is really nice. And you can define the terms by which you work on and what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with. So you can say, listen, I'm really good at this. I don't do that. So you can just focus on the things where you think you can add value and the things that you're sort of passionate and interested in. You can be really flexible. And I know a lot of employers now offer a lot of flexibility. So there's probably a bit less of a gap there these days, but it's really nice to think, do you know what? I've promised to do this chunk of work for someone and I'd rather do it on a Sunday afternoon because I want to go for a swim on Monday morning and whatever it is that you want to do. So that's really nice, the the ability to sort of manage your own time on your own terms. And you might think, I'd like to take a few weeks off or I'd like to work in a completely different place. I think you get ultimate freedom. You're very much your own boss. I quite like the hustle and that's quite exciting to me as well. It's, It's, you know, if you don't invoice, there's no money at the end of the month. Um, but I think that keeps you quite focused and I quite enjoy that. Working with lots of different people is really interesting and talking to lots of different businesses. Variety, I think, is a huge benefit. Not for everyone, but something <laughs> that I really enjoy. Joss, I must say that after listening to that overview, I want to be a freelancer when I grow up. It sounds like you're like at the intersection of your passions and your skills and doing all the best bits. I'm sure there are a couple of drawbacks. So what are the challenges of freelancing? It's the flip side of everything I just said. So if you don't go out and find work and then eventually invoice for it, you don't get paid. I've had to face quite a lot of my fears, like talking about money. You have to do that quite a lot. And that's quite hard. Figuring out how much you think you're worth (laughs) and sort of pitching that to people. I think you have to be really focused 
as well in this job. There are no corners to hide in because you're delivering a service to somebody and, and you're always anxious that that's good quality. You work on your own. You need quite a lot of, you need quite a lot of intrinsic motivation, but also you really have to sometimes hunt out people to talk to if you want to discuss an issue that you're having or a problem. And there's a degree of uncertainty as well about how much work you're going to get. It's a little bit tricky to plan. I want to get back to the point you said about, you know, you work alone. Do you ever get lonely? How do you find these people to be pseudo co-workers? I'm fairly extroverted and I don't get lonely. So I don't think it's the way that I do it. And I think everyone will find their own niche and do it in their own way. So the way that I do it, I don't find lonely because I do spend quite a lot of time with my clients as well. But I think it's about finding, so there's other freelancers that I know that I talk to, people who are in businesses as well, who I do similar things with. So we'll often share challenges, which is really nice. So I think it's about finding those people where you have a mutual understanding and where it's helpful for everybody involved to kind of share ideas and challenges. You're not working on your own because you're working with lots of different people. So it's almost like it's less lonely, right, than going to the same place every day and talking to the same people. You can either go to one party or you can go to loads of parties <laughs> in one night. Yeah, it's pretty much like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's really nice. And I've got to know lots of people this way as well, which is really fun. And people that I like to see outside of work as well. So that aspect of it is really lovely. It's really nice. You mentioned that sometimes you go on LinkedIn and you reach out to companies and offer your freelancing services. How do you network to make, I guess, these professional connections? A lot of people I've met through work, people that I have worked with in the past have now gone on to set up their own business. And then, you know, they might have been really junior at that point. And, I, you know, we might have just been 21 year olds going for a drink after work together or running out for a cheeky bacon sandwich. And now those people have gone on to found their own businesses and I'm able to support them with that. So that's such a privilege. A lot of it you don't realise at the time, but you're making some really, not only friends, but really great connections. Most industries tend to get smaller and smaller the longer you're in them. That's my main way, I think. Yeah, and on occasion, I have reached out to people on LinkedIn and said, oh, I see what you're doing there. It looks really exciting and interesting. By the way, this is what I do. So do drop me a line anytime you want to have a chat. Quite often, that works out really well for everyone involved. The other way is probably going to meetups and talks and conferences around areas that interest me. And I guess also just socially meeting friends of friends as well. That sounds absolutely lovely. I too yeah, would like to go probably... to <laughs> 10 conferences. It's It sounds great. Like we started this out discussing drawbacks and it all just sounds amazing. But important question, given that you are seeking this work, <laughs> seeking these contracts, what happens during seasons when there just is a little less work to do? I've been quite fortunate. I've been doing this for two and a half years now, and I don't think I've ever had a, a particularly sort of dry patch. I almost have the opposite problem. I think I need to kind of step back a bit and streamline and really focus in on the things that I find most enjoyable and I'm probably best at doing. When you work for yourself, it's very hard to say no because you don't have that certainty. And also, if someone's recommended you, then you feel really flattered and you're like, oh. I feel I should do it. But I think sometimes, yeah, I probably have the opposite problem a little bit more. But if a quiet period did come along, I think I would probably 
want to try and make the most of that and probably cut back my outgoings a bit and focus more on other things that I'd like to do in my life that this lifestyle allows me to do. This lifestyle with autonomy, how, given all this autonomy you have, how do you manage the workload with, it sounds like, and congratulations, you're getting all this, this incoming interest. How do you negotiate that with also enjoying the fact that you work for yourself and spending more time with your child and your family and friends? That's definitely a challenge. You need a really good diary management tool. I haven't quite found the perfect one, so <laughs> I'll keep looking. Typically, for the clients I work with, I have a, a separate email account and a separate calendar and sometimes a different laptop. So bringing all that together in one place is really important so that when someone calls and says, oh, can we have a chat about this thing? I need to like read across lots of different diaries to say, ah, I've got a slot here or there. So there's that. I think, and actually I've stolen this from Michelle Obama, put yourself in your diary first. She was talking about it in relation to starting a new job, but when you come into a situation, make sure that before you add anyone else's time in, add your own time in. So I put into my diary the holds for when I take my children to school every morning or they have swimming, take them swimming on the Thursday afternoon or whatever it is. Or maybe for other people, it would be, it's really important to me that I do this gym class or I meditate at this time or whatever the things are that are really important to you. Put yourself in your diary first and then work backwards from there. And I think that was fantastic advice. What is your work situation like? Do you hot desk? Is that worth it for you? Do you mainly work from a home office? Are you a Starbucks regular? What's your preference? (laughs) I tend to either work from home or from a client's offices. I know people that do work for themselves that do hot desk. For example, my brother, he lives in a small flat and has a couple of young kids. So he has a hot desk nearby. That's perfect for him. And he's made friends with the people he shares a studio with. And that's a really nice. So there's, he's a naval architect and he sits next to an artist and a couple of women who are set up their own graphic design company, for example. And that's just a fun environment. And I think he really enjoys that. So I think it depends on your situation. If I didn't have this little tiny room uh, in my house that I can use. I would definitely hot desk. I think it's really nice to have a little spot where you can focus and that feels a productive space for you to be in. I think it is a good option to explore, though. You know, if you are freelancing because you're not working on your own projects or for yourself, you know, is there that capacity always for folks to let you come in and use their space, especially as it's just you, right? One more person at a desk isn't really going to break the bank, right, or change things up. So I think that's definitely a nice one because then you don't have to invest in a hot desk necessarily, right? Yeah. But one more thing to note about that, when you work for yourself, you're almost running a little mini business of your own and your expenses you can claim back against tax. So the, the cost of the hot desk to you is not what it's advertised that because you can pay for the hot desk before you pay tax on your earnings. So it's not a sort of as prohibitive or scary a cost as it might seem. Speaking of getting paid, Archana K submitted this question and they're wondering what's the consistency of getting paid? (laughs) I've heard from some of my friends who freelance that it's a challenge. How would someone deal with this? It is a bit of a challenge. One thing that you can do is invoice consistently and then give on your invoice. Well, I send it out of an app called Zero, which is great, which is linked to my bank account. But essentially it says, this is how much you owe me and this is when I'd like you to pay me and this is how to pay me. And so 
what I tend to do is at the end of every month or sort of the beginning, very early in the next month, I look at all the work I've done over the month and I invoice everybody then and then I give them a one month to pay. So theoretically, I get paid around the same time, 30 days later. So you can kind of line that up. And I think most businesses work on a monthly accounting basis. So typically their accounts team are ready to pay all the services out and the salaries for their staff and all their other costs at the end of the month. On a good month, (laughs) that's how it works. I actually had one client who went bust, which I think is going to happen, isn't it, in the startup world. So they've not been able to pay my invoice. I think that's definitely something to consider and also something to price in. That's it. There's always some risk there. (laughs) Gosh, that's that's unfortunate. (laughs) The drama. Yeah. So let, let's talk more about finance. There's quite a few things to explore on this. And I think it's nice that we touched on expenses just then, because I think that, that definitely is a big part of the kind of freelancing bit that you maybe don't have as much, you know, when you're not freelancing. But I think the big question probably on everybody's lips and in everybody's minds at this point is, how do you know how much you're going to charge? How do you know what to put on the invoices? How do you value yourself? Where do you start? Where presumably do you end? Like, how is that something that you get to know? How long is a piece of string, really? I guess is the is the same question I'm asking. I don't know. I think young people and probably women as well, we probably need to check ourselves and make sure we're valuing ourselves appropriately. I basically was a bit nosy and was sometimes involved with working with freelancers in previous jobs. I had a sense of how much they earned. I spoke to a couple of people who were doing it, who were kind enough to share with me what they earned. But it is something I still struggle with. The best way I can think of it is try and keep a sense of of what your market value is. Another great way of knowing what your market value is, whether or not you're a freelancer, is to talk to recruiters and ask them. You can call any recruiter anytime and they will be delighted to talk to you because that's a, that's what their job's all about. And no doubt if you're listening to this podcast, you're very much an in-demand person and there'll be lots of recruiters who'll be desperate to speak to you. That is a two-way relationship. So you should definitely ask them, what are the salaries looking like in this sector or that sector? Even if you're looking at different jobs, just call up a recruiter and have a chat with them. That's literally their job, being on the phone and talking to people like you who are awesome and will one day make them lots of money. So they see dollar signs when you ring and don't feel or don't at all ever feel like you can't do that. And, and ask them everything you want to know. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Ask them everything you want to know. If you're interested in, you know, what what salaries are like in different sectors or different segments or at different levels and what day rates would be like. And also that's probably another way, if you're interested in freelancing, you can talk to recruiters too, because they might be recruiting for a permanent job, but you might say, oh, I'm really interested in this job, but I'd much rather do it on a short-term basis or a part-time contract basis. And quite often the people that are recruiting will go, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But actually, if I can get someone in tomorrow on that basis, perfect. If you're willing to be more flexible, speak to recruiters, call them up, make their day. I feel like that's like a golden nugget. I feel, feel like there's so many gems. There's almost like a killing two birds with one stone in talking to recruiters where it's like, you know, if you're lonely, talk to a recruiter because, you know, they're always there waiting on the end of the phone to talk to you. 
And I think that's a top tip, even if you're not a freelancer. I think like you said, like anyone really, you know, always be talking to recruiters and they're always hovering on LinkedIn. As long as you've got the right words, you know, to do with your field, they'll search you out and they'll always send you messages. I wonder as well, I mean, I've seen before on that topic of knowing how much to charge, think of a number and then add like 10% and then add tax and then add expenses and kind of add things on top and they almost say like think of a number that like just about makes your stomach turn and then add 10% and then add tax and then and then and then you want to do that as a starting point but then you need to know your market value so definitely layer that on top just think to yourself I'm very expensive but I'm the best and start with that (laughs) I love that darling so much (laughs) darling I'm very expensive yeah I'm very expensive. Just think of yourself as being very expensive and then you don't then you don't feel the need to apologize for it. And sometimes that's the other thing to do. Just make sure that on an ongoing basis you're giving yourself a pay rise. You deserve it. Give yourself a pay rise. It's brilliant. In terms of thinking about insurance and tax and all the rest of it, I have an accountant. I would definitely recommend having an accountant. Again, call up accountancy firms, have a chat with them, ask them all the questions because they really would like your business and they will show you how they work. And that's a great way of figuring out, are they the right accountant for you? Are they going to be able to give you the advice you need? You can test them out and they'll be very happy to help and give you some give you some freebies because ultimately you're going to be paying them quite a lot of money to, to help you. So definitely call up some accountants and get a sense of how that works. Um, so my accountants will help me with my tax. In terms of insurance, I recently just increased the amount of cover my insurance covers me for. So the way that the insurance works, so it's professional indemnity insurance, which basically means if you make a mistake in your job and that costs your client lots of money and they come to you and say, you completely ruined this thing. So this is a real doomsday scenario and I don't mean to put anyone off. And then they come to you and say, we'd like you to pay us back because it's cost us lots of money and it was a problem. You would like to have some insurance that will cover you in that situation. So the insurance will pay and the limit or the level that they'll, they'll pay out to is usually capped. So when I started, I think I started with a cap of about £250,000, which is a lot of money. And I thought that would probably be adequate. Then I've started to work for bigger clients who've got very large businesses. So I did a little bit of work for Amazon Pay and um, doing some work for Travelex, for example, who are a very large global business. What I tend to do now is ask them, do they have a limit? They might push you and you can always negotiate it, but sometimes they have a hard limit. And so it's nice that that's sort of agreed in advance so that they know what your limit is and then they won't be able to come at you for more money than your insurance is going to cover you for. The other thing to look out for is the excess for your insurance. So the excess is how much you have to pay. You can make it zero, but then the insurance will cost you more on an annual basis. So trying to find that balance between how much cover do you think you need or would you like to have? Part of it just is some sort of psychological safety for you as well. But yeah, so have a think about what sort of level of cover you would like to have. And then you can go to an insurance broker and talk to them. So you can just literally Google business insurance. Again, pick up the phone, have a chat with them, tell them what you're doing ask for their advice. They want to sell you insurance. <laughs> this is a bit of a theme, isn't it? We should definitely kind of add a disclaimer to say we're not insurance or accounting specialists. Yes. So don't take no advice, advice directly from here. what we've said. <laughs> yeah. I think it's definitely as well, it's like prepare for the worst and hope for the best. 
I was actually going to ask for recommendations. So someone who's like new to freelancing and doesn't yet have the money to invest in an accountant. Do you have like an app or an online platform recommendation for them to do the the budgeting and the invoicing and that stuff? I would suggest that you go and set up a different bank account so that you can keep your working account separate. And then it's going to be much easier for you to pull the data out of your bank account so you can see what's going in, all your lovely invoices being paid, what's coming out. What you want is to be able to sort of merge that data out of your bank account so that you can do some basic calculations with it to figure out what your tax might be. And I think it is something that sending an invoice is one thing. Even the fact that you have to keep some of the tax to the side. I've had to do this before for lots of different things I do outside of Stemets. And you get taxed months ahead, which is very different from, you know, pay as you earn. So there's all these little things to kind of keep your eyes out for as you become a freelancer. The tax thing, the pension thing as well, and all of that. Yeah. And that's another reason why you want to keep all your business money in a separate account. And you don't want to be moving it all into your running account all the time. So just be a bit conservative and think of that as its own part and think about all the the expenditure you might have. Also, you have to keep an eye out for VAT, right? So if you hit the threshold, then there's like extra bits you need to add to your invoice and extra bits you need to keep to the side, which then it starts to feel like a business, you know? (laughs) So if you earn, basically, if your earnings, if your incomings exceed £85,000 in a rolling 12-month period, you need to pay what's called value-added tax. It's quite a weird thing, but essentially what you're doing is performing a tax-collecting service for the inland revenue for HMRC. So what you have to do is add 20% to all of your invoices, and then you've got to pay that 20% on a quarterly basis (laughs) over to HMRC, unless you have any expenses which you can claim back against it. I have very few because I don't have very many outgoings. If I was running a shop, I'd be buying stock and then, um, you know, paying for my business premises and all the rest of it. But in fact, my outgoings are like, and my expenses are very small. I, I expense things like my lunches or my travel and my computer and uh, some of my phone bill and things like that. Um, a little bit of my house expend- expenses because I work from my home. But other than that, they're very small. So essentially all of the VAT that I collect, so that 20% that I add to each of my invoices, I just pay it directly over to HMRC. Definitely want to talk to your accountant and to your to everybody. Just always be on the phone as a freelancer. I think that's what we've learned. I think the other thing I wanted to add in, so I do a lot of stuff on kind of future of work. And I think it's definitely something that I'm I know more people are considering, but it's definitely one that people are more people are seeing as a viable option. I remember when I graduated ages ago, loads of folks were like, oh gosh, they become a contractor. Oh no, what went wrong? Whereas now it's like, no, that's like going to be the way it gives you a lot of skills that are transferable if you aren't a contractor versus if you are, but also like that's going to be the way that we engage with work. So if you look at like gig economy and lots of other things that are going on now that are really normal in society, all of that falls under this banner. And so, yeah, why wouldn't you be a STEM freelance? I feel like it's missing quite a lot from our, from our discussions we have about the STEM field in general. Anyway, so that's that. That's a little bit. It is now part of success. It's one of the defined pathways you can have to success. Lauren, for our fourth and final what? What is the fourth and final what, Lauren, for Joss? Big, important question. 
what are your markers for success as a freelancer and for yourself personally, of course? I think it's changed over time. But right now, I think it's, do I feel happy? Do I feel, do I feel motivated? Am I enjoying my life and my work? Um, and yeah, I think I am. Yeah, I feel that I am contributing positively to businesses that I believe in and that I'm excited about. Um, and that gives me a good deal of satisfaction. And that makes me happy. I'm so happy for you. Wow. I do wonder. So when you leave a company and you no longer have like, I, I'm at this level and then I have a promotion and then I have a bonus and those, you know, external validators for someone considering freelancing, you know, what advice do you have about like reframing what validation might mean? I think this freelancing job is much easier if you have reached a certain level of um, seniority in your job or a certain niche where you've got something that's valuable to other people to offer. But I don't think there's anything more valuable than your sort of happiness, you know, especially if you've been in an environment that's quite stressful you know the value of having a work life that is exciting and fulfilling and that makes you feel happy. I don't think, I wouldn't do freelancing really just for the sake of it. I would do it for your own reasons and because it works for you and it allows you to contribute in a way that is productive for you and hopefully for the people that you're working with as well. Well, now that you manage yourself, receive these contracts, how do you manage a good work-life balance the first thing to do is have a think about what are the early warning signs that tell you that you need to take a step back or do things slightly differently so for me it's stuff like i'm not sleeping as well or another one i've just recently noticed is quite often when i take my children to school from the bus if i just don't feel like having a conversation with them because i'm just like that tells me like do you know what i've probably got too many things on i need to take a step back I'm not doing what I set out to do or I'm, you know, my goal is to be more available and to be more present. And I, at this moment in my life, and I think it'll change, you have moments where you really want to be fully engaged and you want to wake up thinking about nothing else but your work because you're so committed to it and you're really excited about it. And I think that's wonderful too. But right now for me, one of my boundaries is, am I feeling overwhelmed and that's not something that I want and that's when I know I haven't got my work-life balance right. I think it's just about reflecting and being a little bit aware of what are the things well the little early warning signs that tell you that you need to readjust the balance a little bit and then I work backwards from there or try to. So someone submitted a question kind of about and around what you were just saying. Do you try to follow a set work week? Is it a lot more flexible than that? And of course, does this vary with the amount of work that you have on your plate? And this question was submitted by Shona S. I don't, but I think if that's important to you, I think that's a really healthy thing to do. I tend to work two weeks in advance, more or less. So I just sort of block out in my diary what I'm doing, but it doesn't look the same every week at all. I did do that right at the very beginning because I had limited childcare. I had to work in these particular pockets of time and the rest of the time I was um, with my like, very young kids. And that works fine too, because you just say, well, I'm available these times and not other times. And if it doesn't work for someone, that's fine. And that was nice because it gave me the comfort that I wouldn't be needing to work outside of the times when I 
was available to. But now I much prefer to have a little bit of flexibility baked in as well. For example, I've just yesterday afternoon, well, most of the day I didn't really do much work. I was with my husband's grandma, who's 93. She's over from uh, France and I wanted to spend some time with her and she wanted to go to some charity shops. That's what we did. And it was really nice to be able to say, do you know what? I really want to spend some time with her. It depends on what you want. And that's, I think that's the nice thing about contracting. You can theoretically set the terms of how you work and when you work. Thank you, Joss. I mean, that, that's the, been the theme the whole way through from going swimming on a Monday morning <laughs> to being in other folks' offices to, you know, the insurance side of it and being insured against what you work. It's been such a pleasure and so knowledgeable. It's been an education, I think, talking to you today. Before you go, can you tell us what's the one key bit of advice that you'd give our listeners that you haven't already squeezed into this whole conversation so far? People will remember how you made them feel. And someone told me that quite a while ago, and I, I was very grateful for that advice. And to me, it means when you engage with somebody, they're not obsessed with your delivery, for example, or the, the what. Sometimes it's just about as much about the how that you do things. And sometimes something's really frustrating to you and it's really annoying, but actually those people won't necessarily remember that your document was perfect. They might just remember the process of working with you and how that made them feel. Thanks for the amazing advice. I immediately have five things that I'm going to do right after (laughs) this recording. (laughs) So Joss, uh, important question, please. Where can all of our lovely listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Joss. I'm actually, I'm Jocelyn and then in brackets, Joss, because my name is Jocelyn, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N. But I call myself Joss, J-O-S-S, Tasker, which is T-A-S-K-E-R. Look me up on LinkedIn. I have a policy of accepting every single LinkedIn request that I get. I highly recommend it to you, particularly if you want to go into contracting. Send me a message anytime. I'd love to hear from you. I'm always interested to talk to people that are um, thinking about branching out. I love sharing because it's worked well for me and I'd like to support anyone else who's interested. Also, if you're interested in fintech, get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you about that or renewables. I'm very passionate about renewable energy. I do a lot of work with Octopus Energy. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Let's talk. Feels like a a whole nother two podcasts there, Joss. Um, But thank you very much for your time today. (laughs) And thank you very much to my co-host, Lauren Moane. You have been listening to Stemets Say What, a podcast brought to you by Stemets. To find out more about Stemets, visit stemets.org. That's S-T-E-M-E-T-T-E-S.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and YouTube via the handle Stemets. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you get the latest episode of Stemets Say What in your feed as soon as it's released. And, you know, while you're there, leave a review and tell us what you thought. I'm Lauren. And I'm Amri Maffedon. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Unedited.